thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul shared with us some of the main differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the purpose of that was really to help us see how much better it is under the New Covenant of Jesus versus the Old Covenant under the law. And uh, the New Covenant under Jesus brings eternal life in heaven, but it also brings a transformed life here on this earth. It brings righteousness, which we do not deserve. It gives us complete access to God at any time. And And the only reason that all these wonderful blessings of the new covenant are available to us is because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. The fact that he paid for our sin to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God, for us to be blessed with this new covenant, to have access to God through accepting the gospel message. So now that Paul has shared these main differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and uh, he's going to move on now to share some important things about this ministry that he was called to, the, the ministry of the New Covenant, the ministry of sharing the gospel. And he's going to share with us seven important insights uh, about this ministry. And there's a lot that we can take from this because just like Paul, we've been called to proclaim the gospel. We've been called to go out and and share this message with others. And so the things that Paul communicates at the beginning here of chapter 4 are going to be great challenges for us uh, as we have uh, that calling on our life as well. And so let's start. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul starts off by saying, therefore, since we have this ministry, he's he's referring back to what he just shared in chapter 3, this ministry of the new covenant, of proclaiming the good news of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ has done, that we can have all the wonderful blessings that come with it. And notice he goes on to say, as we have received mercy. Paul recognized something very important. This calling on his life to proclaim the gospel of the new covenant wasn't because of something great in Paul. It was because of the mercy of God. The Greek word translated mercy means to have compassion, pity, and mercy on the wretched and afflicted. It's not getting what you deserve. So mercy by its very nature is undeserved. And this is something that Paul recognized in his life. You know, a lot of people think, well, no, no, Paul was deserving. I mean, look at the missionary journeys that he took. Look at the churches that he planted. Look at the faithful service to the Lord. And there's this conclusion sometimes that we have of Paul was deserving of what God called him to do. And we forget what Paul is and what he was. And Paul was a murderer of Christians. He was a horrible sinner. He didn't deserve what God called him to. He didn't deserve any of these things. It was only because of God's mercy. What Paul deserved was God's judgment. But God didn't give Paul what he deserved. 
God blessed him with this wonderful ministry to proclaim the gospel to people. So the first thing that Paul reveals to us about his new wonderful ministry of proclaiming the gospel is he recognized it wasn't about him. It wasn't about how wonderful he was. It wasn't about how deserving he was. It was all about God's mercy. God blessed him with something he didn't deserve. And the first thing I want us to note is the only because of God's mercy that you and I have been called to minister for him. You know, every calling, every ministry, I've mentioned the reality that we've all been called to share the gospel. It's not just for people like myself or someone with the title evangelist. Every person who is a follower of Jesus is called to go out, make disciples, and proclaim the gospel. But God gives plenty of ministry, plenty of different callings to people. And we need to recognize no matter what it is that God has called you to do, it's because of His mercy. That's the ultimate reason. It's not because you deserve it. He's given you what you don't deserve because the reality is you and I deserve God's judgment. We're a bunch of sinners, and that is what we deserve. We deserve the judgment of God, but yet in His mercy and His grace, because He sacrificed Himself for our sins, He's able to offer us what we do not deserve, and He blesses us not only with salvation, but with the privilege of getting to serve Him. You know, I don't deserve to be a pastor I'm blessed to do that, and it's God's mercy and grace that He enables me to do that. And you're not deserving of the calling of God on your life as well. You know, many people start ministry with an understanding of this. They start ministry with a recognition, I don't deserve this, God, it's all you, it's all your mercy, it's all your grace. And then after some time of faithful service to the Lord, they start to forget the starting point. They start to forget it's all about God's mercy and grace, and they start to think it's about me and my faithfulness. It's about me and my efforts. It's about me and what I've done for the Lord. And I share that because I know from firsthand experience that happened with me. I definitely started in ministry with the complete recognition of, hey, it's all about God's mercy. It's all about God's grace. I don't deserve this. I could never earn this. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a privilege to do this. And I don't even know when it started. After years of ministry and after faithful service to the Lord, all of a sudden I started to be thinking, you know what? I deserve this. It's no longer God's mercy and grace. It's me. Look what I'm doing for you, God. Look at my faithfulness to you, God. Look at what I've given up for you, God. And there was all these thoughts of, you know what? I now deserve what God has given to me. And when I was in Scotland, I started teaching Galatians. In the book of Galatians, we see in chapter 3, Paul says something to the Corinthians, and God used this to kind of open my eyes to the reality of how I was seeing myself. He says this, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You know, I taught this and I was saying, you know, the the Galatians were so foolish. The whole start of their relationship with God was a work of the Spirit. God did it all. It was all about Him. It was all about His grace. It was all about His mercy. And then they thought, you know what? We're going to finish this. We're going to complete this in our flesh, in our own efforts. It all started with God, but we're going to complete it. And as I was studying for that, God showed me, this is how you feel about ministry. Oh yes, I started it all by my mercy and grace, but now you feel like you're going to finish it, that you're going to complete it, that it's all about you now. And we need to recognize the reality that it's not just for people who get into ministry to recognize we don't deserve it. 
It's also, as we've been doing it for year after year, that we don't deserve it. Just because you've been faithful to the Lord doesn't bring you to a place of deserving what He's called you to do. We don't. We never do. It's His mercy. It's His grace that He's given these things to us. And it's just because of Him. And this truth needs to stick with us throughout our life, throughout what God calls us to do as we serve Him. Paul goes on to say in verse 1, we do not lose heart. You know, the second thing that Paul reveals to us about his gospel ministry is he didn't lose heart in it. And when you look at Paul's life and you look at the majority of suffering that he encountered was because of sharing the gospel. You know, he was imprisoned a lot because sharing the gospel. He was beaten for sharing the gospel. He suffered a lot for sharing the gospel. I'm sure he was rejected a lot as he shared the gospel. And, you know, that's a common thing as we go out and we proclaim the gospel and people reject it or just the weight of the reality of so many souls' lives are in the balance. You know, we can lose heart. It's something that we do. It's something that we struggle with and we need to be challenged here with what Paul is saying here is don't lose heart in sharing the gospel. You know, when you share the gospel with people, when you get rejected, when you get persecuted, we lose hearts. And usually our response in losing heart is, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to stop this. I don't like the results of this. And you can understand that, especially from a person like Paul, like, you know what? I've been in prison for the fourth time. That's it. I'm done. I'm I'm not going to proclaim this message that keeps bringing heartache and pain to my life. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, Lectures to My Students, in a chapter titled, The Minister's Fainting Fits, he describes the pressures on those in ministry and the, the reality of losing heart. He says this, Our work, when earnestly undertaken, lays us open to attacks in the direction of depression. Who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking to the dust. Charles Spurgeon is probably one of the most quoted people, a great, great, great man of God. He struggled with depression, and one of his areas of struggle was this reality of this weight of souls, the weight of recognition that so many people are rejecting the gospel and going to hell. That put a huge weight on his heart. And that's a natural thing. As you know family, as you know friends that continue to reject this message and you know that if they die, they're going to hell and that reality has a weight that is on us. And the struggle for us is can we not allow that weight to bring us to a place where we lose heart? And we say, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to continue with this message anymore. I think one of the things that can help us to not lose heart is to remember the importance of the gospel. To remember that this is the only message that someone can hear that can change their life for all eternity. That's it. There's no other message that saves souls. There's no other message that takes someone from death to life, from eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. And when we recognize the importance of the message, hopefully it brings us to a place where we say, you know what, a lot in me wants to lose heart and give up, but I can't because it's too important to share. You know, back in 2012 in China, they had a car-touching competition with 120 contestants. And the person who was able to keep their hand on a new BMW the longest was able to have it. Well, a man by the name of Song Chang Jang won the contest by keeping his hand on a BMW for 87 hours straight. 
That's four days and three nights. But this man, I'm sure, you know, 119 people lost heart and said, forget this, we're done. You know, he continued. Why? Because I want this new BMW. He was willing to put himself through that, even though he was surely losing heart, wanting to give up, but said, you know what? The prize is worth it. And I think, you know what, if someone's willing to go for 87 hours with their hand on a car just to win a BMW and not lose heart because that's the prize, how much more should we as Christians say, you know what, the prize of someone accepting the gospel and their life being transformed for all eternity, shouldn't that be something that we're willing to endure for? Shouldn't that be something that we're willing to say, I'm not going to lose heart because it's too important what this message can do in the life of someone for all eternity. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. You know, Paul did something with the word of God that we should admire him for. He handled it openly, honestly, and revealed its truth. He didn't try to conceal things but he actually renounced the hidden things. He wasn't deceitful with his handling of the word of God. You know, I found interesting that this Greek word translated deceitful was often used for merchants who would water down their wine to make more money. And so they would give wine saying, oh, this is all right and good. But really, they watered it down to make it go farther so they could put more bottles out so they could make more money. And it was deceitful. But I like that because Paul did not dilute the word of God. He did not water down the message. He understood the power of the message of the gospel and he made sure that he proclaimed it in its entirety and in its truth. He says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The third thing that Paul reveals to us about his gospel ministry is that he preached the word of God openly and honestly and revealed its truth. And this is another important thing about gospel ministry that we need to understand as well. We need to preach the word of God openly, honestly, and reveal its truth. You know, dealing with God's word openly and honestly, especially in our culture today, is just so vital, so important. The gospel is the most important message, and we need to deal with it truthfully. We need to deal with it honestly. We need to deal with it openly. You know, when someone is deceitful and waters down the word of God, they hinder people from seeing the truth that's there. And when someone does that with the gospel, they hinder people from accepting what is real and true. And they accept basically this watered down message that isn't the gospel at all. Charles Burden said, certain people in ministry tell us they must adapt truth to the advance of the age, which means they must murder it and fling its dead body to the dogs, which simply means that a popular lie shall take the place of an offensive truth. You know, sadly, this is something that we see in the church world today a lot. Popular lies taking the place of what the culture views as offensive truths that are in the Bible. You know, a few years ago, there was a very popular book among Christians written called Love Wins. It's ultimately a popular lie that, you know what, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not. At the end of the day, everyone is going to go to heaven. Everyone's going to be forgiven of their sins, regardless if they place their faith in Christ or not, because love wins. 
And there were so many people who bought into this popular lie, and the author himself thought, you know what, the Bible and what it teaches about sin and hell is an offensive truth that I don't want to believe, and so, you know, I'm just going to put this book out here, and so many people bought into the popular lie. And sadly, we see this so much with the watering down of the gospel. People hiding the truth that we're sinners, hiding the truth that there is a consequence to our sin, which is an eternity in hell. Oh, we don't want to share those things because people are offended by those things or it makes people feel uncomfortable or they don't like it. And sometimes I think people do this with the mindset of, you know what, God, I'm going to help you out. Your gospel message is a little too harsh, you know, and so I'm going to change it a bit so it's more palatable to the culture today. I'm going to water it down so that more people will be receptive to it. And we see this in the church a lot. You know what? We're not going to talk about the fact that you're a sinner. We're not going to talk about the consequences of your sin. I'm just going to tell you God loves you. That's all you need to know. And you know what? Just believe that and everything's good. And that's the message that we hear so often from churches who say, you know what, I don't want to proclaim the full gospel. I just want to water it down and proclaim a bit of it. The problem with that, yeah, more people accept that message. Yeah, more people are drawn to it, but they're not drawn to the gospel. They're drawn to a lie. They're drawn to this watered down thing that you've made up that's removed the essential components of what the word of God says people need to understand. And so... Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, the main purpose of the gospel is for someone to be set free from their sins. But before they can be set free from their sins, they have to know the truth. The truth of what the Bible proclaims. And if we aren't showing them the truth, if we're not willing to deal with the truth of God's word openly and honestly, then they're never getting to that place where they're able to be set free because we're not proclaiming the truth as we should. You know, watering down the gospel is like a doctor who tells you that you only have a cold and don't worry about it when the reality is you have cancer that's killing you. And I think that's so often the way it is. Oh, you guys are doing fine. Just Jesus loves you. Don't worry. When the reality is, no, you have a sin that is sending you to hell. And if I don't share that with you, then I'm not telling you the problem. But I also can tell you the cure of what Jesus has done to make it possible that you can be forgiven of your sin. So we need to make sure that we deal with the Bible openly and honestly and reveal its truth, especially in our culture today with within the church world. The word of God is so under attack. Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 2, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know, Paul was a man who didn't just believe what he preached. He acted upon what he preached. He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't contradict his preaching with his behavior. Anyone could look at Paul's ministry and judge it by their own conscience and see, here's a man of integrity. Here's a man who practices what he preaches. And that's what Paul means when he says, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. You know, some men attacked Paul with words, some men attacked Paul with actions, but Paul knew that his ministry and his message, that anyone who looked at it, if they really sought their conscience, would recognize this is authentic and real. Here's a man who practices what he preaches. And I think this is another important thing about gospel ministry that we need to understand. We need to live a life of integrity and practice what we 
preach. You know, one of the main reasons that people reject the gospel is because they reject Christians who live completely opposed to what the Bible says. Well, if that's what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. You know, we can be one of the the biggest tools to drive people from Jesus instead of draw them to Jesus by the way in which we live our life. When our message and our lifestyle don't go hand in hand, when we don't practice what we preach, it becomes very problematic for those who are watching. You know, my favorite teachers are the ones that practice what they preach. I love to listen to guys, and many of them, I'll say, aren't the greatest teachers in the world. I know guys who are far better teachers who I've stopped listening to because I watched their life and saw, yeah, you're real passionate behind the pulpit. You love to share these things behind the pulpit, but you don't live them outside of it. And so, you know, the the message doesn't have the same power. And there's guys who fumble over their words and they're not very good communicators. And I know their life and I know their marriage and I know their family. And I say, man, if I could live life like you, you are a wonderful example. And so when I listen to their message, it has a power that they actually say, I am seeking to practice what I'm proclaiming to you. I'm saying this to you, but I'm also doing it myself. And these are the guys that I like to listen to because our message loses power when we don't practice what we preach. And that's not just for people who are pastors behind a pulpit. Guess what? That's for us as parents as well. And I'm sure that you found this to be true. When you don't practice what you preach to your kids, when you have the mindset of do as I say, not as I do, which is exactly what that is. It's, oh, oh, I can tell you what's right. I'm just not going to live it in front of you. Just do as I say, not as I do. I'm not going to practice what I preach. doesn't work. Kids, see what you do and follow that. They don't listen to what you say if what you say contradicts your life. Now, if what you say is in line with what you do, that's the most powerful way to reveal to them, hey, this is how you should live, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to model it. I'm going to be an example of it in front of you. That's when the power really is there. And so we need to be those who don't just know what's true, who don't just deal rightly with the truth, which is important, but who also seek to live it. And I'm not saying that we're always going to be successful in that, but that we seek to live the truth and practice what's we preach. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 2. He says, in the sight of God. And I like this because Paul recognized people are watching me. And I want to make sure that I'm someone that practices what I preach. So when the world sees my life, they see that I'm a man of integrity. But you know what? That wasn't the biggest driving force. The fact that people were watching wasn't the biggest thing that caused Paul to want to be a man of integrity who practiced what he preached. The biggest thing that was driving Paul was that God was watching. That was what's most important. In the sight of God is the biggest driving force it should be for all of us. Yes, the world is watching. And there's a reality that we need to recognize that and want to practice what we preach because of it. But you know what? God's watching. And there are times when we think, oh, no one can see. I'll just do what I want. You know, character has been described as uh, basically, you know, what you do when no one's watching. And oftentimes we're very different. You know, when, when we're in a church service like this, we put on our best. Oftentimes we want to be seen as real spiritual. But when no one's watching, that's oftentimes when we are what we really are, when we're willing to compromise in ways that we wouldn't in front of other people. But what you need to recognize is that God's always watching. There's nothing that you can hide from him. And Paul's driving force was, you know what? God's watching and that is what 
causes me to ultimately want to be a man of integrity, to be someone that when people look at my life, they see this reality. Dr. Kent Hughes, a great pastor and author and Bible commentator, said this, There is a higher scrutiny than that of human conscience. It is to God that every minister of the gospel is ultimately and eternally and eternally answerable. And this is something we need to recognize. We're going to stand before God one day and we're going to have to answer not just for what we told people or what we believe, but also how we lived our life. So Paul starts off sharing four ways in which he approached this amazing new covenant ministry And now he's going to answer an important question. Okay, Paul, if the gospel is so powerful, and if you've been so faithful to proclaim it in truth, and, you know, why is it that more people aren't accepting it? You know, I've experienced this as I've used apologetics and defended Christianity and thrown out evidence, and and people will say, well, there's so much evidence for the Bible, for Jesus, for the gospel. Why don't more people believe it? Why don't more people accept it? Well, Paul's going to answer that question. Why is it that something as great as the gospel that's backed up with so much evidence, why is it so rejected by many people? Well, here's the reason that Paul gives us verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul starts off by saying, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You know, if people don't respond to the gospel, it's not because Paul didn't proclaim it well, and it's not the fault of the gospel itself. It's those who are perishing have been veiled. They've been blinded. This is the reason that so many people can't see the good news of the gospel, can't recognize that this is something that I need and I need to accept because there is a blindness that is upon Many people. You know, the truth of the gospel, when you get it, is something that you just want to jump at. I mean, if I were to come to you and say, you know what, you can give me your beat up old car that you're putting payments on, and I'll give you a brand new car you want. It'll be fully paid for free. I mean, you would jump at the chance of saying, yeah, I'll trade my beat up old car for a brand new one that's free for me, no more payments. Or, you know, if I said, you know what, that one bedroom apartment that you're renting, I'll give you a million dollar mansion fully paid off. It'll be in your name and yours. You know, you would jump at the chance for making that exchange. But you know what? When you tell people you can have Jesus, you can have heaven, you can have life, you can have forgiveness and hope instead of sin and despair and hell and heartache. Instead of jumping at it, oftentimes, "Eh, let me think about it. Or they just flout it and say, no, that's not for me. What? Why wouldn't you dump at this? Why wouldn't you desire this? Why wouldn't you want this? Well, it's because there is a blindness that they don't recognize and understand what it is that's been done and how important it is for them to have it. And the reason that this blindness in part is happening, notice in verse 4, they are veiled because their minds have been blinded by the God of this age who is Satan. That's one of Satan's biggest desires. One of his biggest battlegrounds is the battle for the mind. He wants to 
confuse. He wants to deceive. He wants to get people ultimately because it's a choice. You have to make a choice in your mind to accept the good news, the truth of the gospel. And he wants to use whatever he can. And he's been very effective through the, since the Garden of Eden, where he used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then he's used false religion. More commonly, he's used evolution. He's, he's used lots of things to deceive the minds of people into denying the gospel, to deny that there's a God, to deny that they are sinners in need of salvation. And so because of this reality that people have this spiritual blindness that Satan is, you know, continuing to try and keep them in that state, we need to recognize as we approach people with the gospel, that's what they're struggling with. You know, it's not, oh, if I can just proclaim this message and articulate it just right, man, they're going to accept it. We got to realize there is something spiritual happening. They have blinders that is hindering them no matter how well I proclaim the gospel to them until those blinders are removed, until they're able to see clearly the message, they're not going to accept it. And that's why the fifth important thing about the gospel ministry is we must pray for God to remove people's blinders. Now, before you engage in the gospel, prayer should always precede that. You know, we should always be praying. Even if it's just you meet someone right there, the door is open in your mind, just between you and God quickly. Lord, remove the blinders from this person. Lord, give them an openness and an understanding of who you are. Help their mind to comprehend it, their heart to be open to it. I mean, make a quick prayer of, Lord, I want to see this person not have these blinders hinder them from the truth. And then for people that you know and love and have been sharing with, continue to pray for them. Continue to intercede on their behalf and recognize there is a spiritual blindness that hinders people from the good news of the gospel. And it's not just if I just tell them enough, they'll finally get it. It's also I need to pray that God would help intercede on their behalf so that that could be lifted from them and they could understand the truth. Verses five and six, Paul's going to share with the, the sixth important thing about gospel ministry. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Since Paul knows Satan wants to blind people from the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, his ministry of preaching was not about himself, and was always about Jesus. And this is something that is so important that we need to recognize. Paul recognized, hey, what people need is Jesus. The message they need to hear is about Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can save them. Paul can't. Jesus is the only one who can change their life. Paul can't. So Paul didn't say, hey, I want to point you to me. He said, no, I want to point you to Jesus. Jesus is the one that I preach. The sixth important thing about gospel ministry is we must preach Jesus, not ourselves. Yeah, this seems to be something obvious, but yet 
Go and listen to a lot of pastors, a lot of people who are in ministry today, and you'll realize they're preaching themselves. It's all about them, and they, they, they point you to them, and you hear very little about Jesus, and Jesus is not the focus, he's not the priority, he's not where people are getting pointed to, and you know, when people leave a church and it's just like, man, that pastor is so amazing, or it's all about the guy, then they've missed the point. It should be, I'm leaving, Jesus is amazing. Look at how wonderful he is. I can't believe he loves me so much. I can't believe he's done this for me. I can't believe that he's able to get me through this. It's all about him. That should be what we preach. That should be what we proclaim, not ourselves. And I think too often we get sucked into that. Because we like people thinking that we're great. And, and if we think, oh, if I, if I push myself more and talk about myself more and, and point people to me more, they're, they're going to have this higher opinion of me. And we get drawn into that sometimes and we miss. That's not what it's about. And that's not what people need. You know, don't look to me. I'm not the one who's going to help you. It's Jesus who's going to do it. He's the one who has the power to meet your needs. Paul goes on to say, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, something interesting, and for those of you who've been on Thursday night, we've been looking at Genesis and the creation account, and God says, let there be light, and there is light. And, you know, he created physical light, but here we also see that he created a spiritual light that goes within an individual. This light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus. And Satan's goal is to blind people from that light. But you know what? When you accepted Christ, you became that light. You became someone who is meant to shine that light in the darkness that's around you from this lost world. And we've been commanded to do it. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God has given each believer the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We have the light of God to shine through us. And he says, notice, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works, the way in which you live. That's something that we need to recognize. We have a light that needs to shine, the light of Christ to this dark world. We've been called to allow that light to shine. And notice, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? You don't put it under a basket. You don't hide it. You put it out for everyone to see. You want that light to shine. You want it to go out. You want people to be drawn to it. The seventh important thing about gospel ministry is we need to let the light of Jesus shine through us to this dark world. You know, this world is in desperate need of the light of Christ. We're just getting darker and darker. We're getting more and more immoral. We're just doing more and more things that are farther and farther from God. And we as the church need to stand up and let the light shine. You know what? And the light always isn't going to say, oh, let me come to Jesus. Part of letting the light shine is to reveal to the world how sinful and depraved they are because the things that they're doing, they want to make it mainstream. They want to make it acceptable. They want to make it like there's nothing wrong with this. And as we let our light shine, we show no, that is not acceptable. That is not right. That is sinful. And God declares it as sin. And if you're going to go down this road, recognize how depraved it is. And as we shine the light, for some people, it just helps them to see their depravity and need for Jesus as others we shine it and they're drawn to it but either way God wants us to shine the light of Christ in this dark world Jesus goes or Jesus said to Paul 
in Acts 26, 17 and 18, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I will now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When God sends Paul out to do ministry, notice, hey, I want you to be there to help open the eyes of people who are blind, to turn them from darkness to light, from Satan and, and what he's doing to God. And that's ultimately a ministry we have. And as we share the gospel, that's the message that can take someone from darkness to light, from being bound to Satan, to being delivered and free to have a relationship with God. But don't keep your light hidden. You know, imagine a man in a sunny room who enjoys the sunshine so much that he wants to keep it all to himself. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to shut the curtains so that no light can get out of here. And what happens to him? He's now no longer in the light. He's blocked it. And I think so often we try to hoard it to ourselves and it doesn't help us and it doesn't help anyone else. We need to let our lights shine so that people can see it. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, this is something that I think we just need to recognize. What we have is a treasure. The gospel is a treasure. We have the treasure of the gospel. We have the treasure of the light of Jesus Christ shining through us. We have the treasure of the best message that anyone can hear, the good news of what Jesus has done for them. We have the most valuable treasure to offer this world. It's a treasure that brings complete, lasting peace and joy. A treasure that can bring absolute forgiveness from your sins. A treasure that keeps us from hell. A treasure that enables us to be children of God. A treasure that gives us an eternity in heaven. And the list goes on and on. And when you start to recognize what we have in the gospel, you realize what a treasure this is that should be shared, that should be given, that should be offered to a world that so desperately needs it. There's nothing in this life as valuable as the treasure of the gospel. No amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of popularity, no amount of power can ever bring what the gospel brings. As Jesus says, you know what? Who cares if you gain this whole life? Everything this life has to offer, you gain it. All the power, all the wealth, whatever you want, and lose your own soul. Because all eternity now, you're going to be in hell. What good is it if you gain everything in this life to lose it all for eternity? Instead, recognize the most valuable thing is what we have in eternity in heaven with God. And we need to share that with others. But you know what? We're not worthy to have this treasure in us. We're just clay pots holding an unspeakable treasure. You know, I've often wondered, you know, why would God take something so valuable something that's so important, something that needs to go out so desperately and give it to us who are often so faithless in getting it out, who are often such bad examples of what it is. Why didn't he use angels? Why didn't he use something that that probably would have done a better job? Well, Paul gives us a great reason that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God likes to use weak people, broken people, Sinful people like you and me, because when he uses us, the excellence is all about him. People recognize, look at what God has done. They don't mistake us. 
They don't think, oh, look what you've done, because they realize, look at you and look at me, and we're just broken, sinful people that God has used, and God is the one who gets the glory. God is the one who has all the praise, and that's what He desires. And so you think, well, why do you use us, Lord, to to get out the most important treasure of all? Because I want people to recognize it's all about me, not about you. And so I'll use you no matter how messed up you are. I can still use you for my glory and ultimately will gain more glory in the process because no one's going to mistake him and us. (laughs) You know, everything that we've looked at this morning, all these seven wonderful things in gospel ministry, the gospel itself, the whole focus is Jesus and what he's done for us, that he's God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that three days later he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And I want to take time, it's the first Sunday of the month, and it's a great time just within this message itself. We're just going to take some time to remember what Christ has done and take communion together. So I'm going to have the worship team come on up. And as they play, we're going to have the communion elements passed around. And I just encourage you, hold on to this. Uh, We're going to take it together. This is an open communion. So if you have made a choice to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, if you have done that, then we encourage you to take part in this with us. If you've never made a choice to trust in Jesus, then I would just ask you, let the communion elements pass by. This is not something uh, for you to do, but uh, we're just going to hold on together. We're going to have a time just to worship, and then I'm going to come back up, and uh, we're going to take some time just to take this together to remember what Christ has done. And I just want to encourage you right before we do this, uh, the Bible, you know, Paul talks about, you know, we need to just kind of look within ourselves. And if there is something in your life that you haven't confessed, a sin in your life that you haven't dealt with, that you haven't asked the Lord to forgive you of, you know, before we remember the, the sacrifice, before we remember what he's done on the cross, I want to encourage you, get right with him. If there's something you haven't dealt with, do that now as we just take time just to pass out the elements and worship the Lord.